Our reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Starting at verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Well, if I haven't met you before, I just want to say a really warm welcome. Uh, If you're visiting here this morning, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, You've joined us in the middle of a sermon series called Hot Topics. And today, uh, our hot topic is the question whether same-sex attraction is a sin. And topics don't really come much hotter than this, do they? Uh, To be clear, same-sex attraction refers to more than just uh, one person enjoying a close friendship with another person of the same sex. Uh, Same-sex attraction is an emotional, uh, physical, uh, sexual attraction to a person of the same sex. And if we ask most people in our society whether same-sex attraction is a sin, though they'll probably respond, absolutely not. These are good, loving desires that we should affirm and celebrate and be proud of. It would be wrong to tell someone to question or suppress these desires because our sexuality is a key part of who we are. It's a key part of what it means to flourish as a human being. And you know, I really resonate with this view. It makes sense to me on so many levels. I mean, of course I want people to flourish. And of course I want every single person to experience love and belonging an affirmation, right? And actually, that's what God wants too. God is love, the Bible tells us. He's the source of everything good and lovely. And he he created and designed us for love. So is that it then? Is that going to be the shortest sermon you've ever heard in your life? Should we just agree that love is love, we can affirm same-sex attraction, and move on? Well, maybe it's not quite that easy. Because maybe love and desire are a little more complicated than that. You see, everything our society believes about same-sex attraction hangs on on a key assumption. It assumes that our desires are good. And if that's true, then it would make a lot of sense that following your desires would be the road to happiness. And and there's really only one rule on that road, which is don't hurt anyone else along the way. But ponder this with me for a second. What What if our desires aren't all good? What if they were sometimes twisted or faulty? Now, if that was true, then following them might actually lead us astray, right? It might even be bad for us. 
A few years ago, Sean and I, we had the privilege of traveling through India. Uh, and there were times where we were struggling to know where to go, and we would sometimes ask a local for directions. But we quickly learned that just because someone smiled and, and nodded and said, yes, I know where that is, follow me and I'll take you there, it didn't mean they were always helping. Uh, sometimes we found ourselves in a taxi heading in completely the wrong direction, being taken to the tourist shop of this guy's uncle's brother's cousin uh, to buy an extremely expensive rug. And actually, the Bible tells us that our desires can be a bit like that. They can seem good and true, but they can't actually be trusted. Why? Because all of us by nature, all of us by nature, are fundamentally sinful and broken. Romans 1 verse 21 tells us that because we have all turned away from God, our thinking has become futile and our foolish hearts have become darkened and our desires have become twisted. Which means it's, it's actually not as simple as saying, well, God made me this way. Because actually many of our desires are not the result of how God made and designed us. They're the result of how sin has distorted us and affected us. And so as we come to same-sex attraction or really anything in life, we need to ask the question, well, is this a good thing from God? Does the Bible say that these desires are good or bad? Is this part of how God designed things back in the beginning when everything was perfect? And that brings us to our first point this morning. The first thing we, we need to see is that same-sex attraction is a consequence of our fall into sin. Same-sex attraction is a consequence of our fall into sin. When it comes to this topic, the Bible is really clear. This is not how God designed things to be. It doesn't fit with God's good plan in Genesis 2, where a man and a woman come together in marriage, and, and they're two very different types of human beings and they become one flesh, and they complement each other, and they're perfectly designed for procreation. And this is confirmed throughout the Bible. We're not, we're not in any doubt of this. It tells us often that to act on same-sex desires by pursuing a homosexual lifestyle, or even just homosexual sex, goes against God's law. As does all heterosexual sex outside the marriage of one man and one woman for life. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 6, isn't it? Uh, if you've got your Bible open there, have a look. It starts with, in verse 9, with, Do not be deceived. Paul knows we could easily be deceived on this. But Paul says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So our first point is this, same-sex attraction is a consequence of our fall into sin. So we can't join with our society and say it's all good and it's something to celebrate and it's something to be proud of because according to our creator, God, these desires have actually been disordered by sin. But that is not the same thing as saying that you are actively sinning just because you experience that attraction. It leads us to our second point. 
Same-sex attraction is a consequence of our fall into sin, but same-sex attraction is not a sin in and of itself. Same-sex attraction is not a sin in and of itself. Uh, In John 9, Jesus is walking along. He meets a man who has been blind from birth, and his disciples ask him a doozy of a question. Uh, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, the disciples' view of sin was too simplistic. He wasn't born blind because he was directly being punished and guilty for a specific sin. He was born blind because he was born into a fallen, sinful world. Romans 8 verse 20 says that all creation is frustrated and it's groaning under the effects of sin. And that's why all of us, all of us struggle with sickness and with disorder and with brokenness. And although some do debate this, I believe that same-sex attraction falls into this category. A disordered attraction that should be distinguished from active sinning. Nick Rohn is a Christian pastor who experiences same-sex attraction, and Nick writes this, My sexuality is disordered in that I experience a homosexual orientation. What I mean is that my sexual desires are exclusively oriented toward the same sex. As I sit here writing, I'm not not experiencing an attraction to another man, but I am still exclusively attracted to men. So at this moment, though I have a homosexual orientation, I do not believe I'm sinning in this regard. Now, this is where things get complicated. This is where we start talking about the difference between orientation and temptation and sin. Uh, And on the one hand, we need to realize that sin is not just what we do. It can also be lustful desires within us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But on the other hand, we need to realize that it's not a sin to be tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus himself was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And James 1 verse 14 says that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. The question is, will you fight the temptation or will you go along with it? When you're tempted to lust after someone of the same sex or the opposite sex, will you resist that sinful desire or will you entertain it? Now, I know from my own experience how difficult it is to work out when temptation ends and lust begins. That's a hard line. And we need to be alert and we need to be humble about how dangerous temptation is. It's, it's not something to flirt with or play games with. The Bible calls us to flee from temptation, to run to God, to pray for deliverance, to cut off anything that might lead us astray and to let our minds be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've seen two main points. First, same-sex attraction is not a good thing to be celebrated. It is a consequence of our fall into sin. But second, that doesn't mean it's a sin in and of itself. It's possible 
to be a same-sex attracted Christian who resists those temptations and chooses to pursue God instead. Fallen, yes. Sinful, not necessarily. That leads us to another question that I want us to consider before we finish today. What would Jesus say to someone who is same-sex attracted? What would Jesus say? Strap yourself in, we're going to fly through this. I've got eight things that I think Jesus would say to someone who is same-sex attracted. First, Jesus would say, I love you. I really want you to know that this morning, especially if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, if you identify with the LGBTQ plus label in any way. Jesus loves you. He isn't pushing you away. He is drawing you nearer. God welcomes all types of people into his family, the church, from all different genders, classes, races, and sexual orientations. Jesus loves you. But because he loves you, he's too kind to leave you or me in our sin. And so the second thing Jesus would say to a same-sex attracted person, as he says to all of us, is you need to repent. Mark 1 verse 15 sums up the message Jesus preached. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. But repent of what? That was the question that a lesbian woman called Jackie Hill Perry wrestled with a lot. You see, she was feeling drawn towards Christianity, but she really struggled with the idea that conversion meant, well, she was expected to turn straight and to marry a guy. Then Jackie slowly came to realize that God wasn't mostly concerned with the fact that she was gay, but with the fact that she was a sinner. She writes this, God was not calling me to be straight. He was calling me to himself. The choice to lay aside sin and take hold of holiness was not synonymous with heterosexuality. She goes on, I not only needed freedom from homosexuality, but from all sin. I was holistically in need of God. For the unbeliever that is same-sex attracted, God is not mainly calling them to be straight. He's calling them to himself, to know Christ, love Christ, serve Christ, honor Christ, and exalt Christ forever. End quote. I think that's exactly right. Jesus calls every single one of us to repent. Repentance is saying, God, it's time for you to start showing me the way, and I'm going to do a U-turn, and I'm going to follow you with my whole life. Third, Jesus says, I will wash you and cleanse you. We read that long list of sins in 1 Corinthians 6. Did you see what Paul wrote next in verse 11? And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is Christianity. And it's glorious. It's glorious. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you're struggling with right now, Jesus can wash you clean. There, there is complete forgiveness at the cross. 
And there is extraordinary power because the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now moves into your heart and your life and begins transforming you with his power. Fourth, Jesus says, I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you a new identity. I love the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield. You might have read it. Uh, She used to be a tenured professor uh, of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. And she was a lesbian in a committed, loving relationship. Uh, And then Rosaria says this. I'll read an extended quote. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover and an hour later sat in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Conspicuous with my butch haircut, I reminded myself that I came to meet God, not fit in. The image that came in like waves of me and everyone I loved suffering in hell vomited into my consciousness and gripped me in its teeth. I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. I counted the costs. And I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign. But God's promises rolled in like sets of waves into my world. I wrestled with the question, did I really want to understand homosexuality from God's point of view? Or did I just want to argue with him? I prayed that night that God would give me the willingness to obey before I understood I prayed long into the unfolding of the day. When I looked in the mirror, I looked the same. But when I looked into my heart through the lens of the Bible, I wondered, am I a lesbian? Or has this all been a case of mistaken identity? If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide marrow from soul, could he make my true identity prevail? Who am I? Who will God have me to be? End quote. Aren't those great questions? Could this all have been a case of mistaken identity? Who am I really? Who would God have me be? When we come to Jesus, he gives us a new identity. He restores our true identity. Child of God, loved, made in his image to live for him. As Christians, we are no longer defined by our desires or our battles, though they may rage on within us. Because we are now defined by being new creations in Christ, being dead to sin and alive with the Spirit, to live for God and for His kingdom and His glory, destined for eternal glory with Him. Sam Albury is a minister from the UK. He's a devout celibate Christian who has struggled with exclusive same-sex attraction all his life. In his excellent book on homosexuality, he writes this, In Western culture today, the obvious term for someone with homosexual feelings is gay. But in my experience, this often refers to far more than someone's sexual orientation, 
It has come to describe an identity and a lifestyle. And it's for this reason that I tend to avoid using the term. It sounds clunky to describe myself as someone who experiences same-sex attraction. But describing myself like this is a way for me to recognize that the kind of sexual attractions I experience are not fundamental to my identity. They are part of what I feel, but are not who I am. In a fundamental sense, I am more than my sexuality, Sam says. Jesus says, I'll give you a new identity. And fifth, Jesus says, I'll give you a new community. We're not saved to struggle alone. We're saved into a family, the church, a family of sinners. And it is so critical that our church is a loving family to those who are same-sex attracted. Because if they choose to follow Jesus, they may well be cut off from their gay community. And if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, we want you to know that you are not alone here at Riverbank. We want to be with you in this. We want to love you. We want to support you. We want this church to be a safe place where you feel that you can be open about what you're going through. Maybe not with everyone, but with some. Not feel like you have to hide or be ashamed. We are all struggling with sin. Come struggle with us. And friends, every single one of us have a role to play in making Riverbank a place like this. How? We can say a lot, but, but start by guarding your tongue. Using gay or faggot as a derogatory term is inappropriate and it's harmful. So is using us and them language. You may think there's no one around to be offended, but that's not true. Statistically speaking, there are Christians at Riverbank who struggle with this. And just as important as how you talk is how you listen. Listen well. Don't assume you understand. And we can also help by being open about our own sin. Remember that list of sins in 1 Corinthians 6? Paul makes it clear that greed, greed in our Western materialistic society, and slander are just as much sins as homosexuality. Do we believe this? Are we humble and honest about our sin? And do we let others see that? If you're same-sex attracted, Jesus says to you, I'll give you a new community. And then sixth, he says, I will change you. I will change you. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, this is what some of you were. What a beautiful past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified. Sanctified means that you're now set apart to live for God, to be holy. And this raises a difficult question. Will my same-sex attracted desires go away after I become a Christian? How should we answer this? On the one hand, we should never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian should expect that when God's Spirit enters them and gives them a new heart and new power, they will change. They will genuinely begin to change in their hearts and their minds and their actions. 
we will begin to overcome sins and struggles and temptations that we previously could not. We will grow in peace and in joy and in love and in self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, aren't they? And we should expect them in every Christian. Will this include a change in our sexual orientation? It's quite possible. But I don't think we should assume it will happen. Not the side of heaven. There are many Christians with testimonies that their orientation did slowly begin to change. It's certainly clear that once same-sex attracted doesn't mean always same-sex attracted. However, there are also mature Christians who will tell you their struggle has never gone away. Vaughan Roberts is a godly evangelist and minister in the UK. He struggled with same-sex attraction his whole life. He says this, A small proportion of people, including Christians, find that they remain exclusively attracted to the same sex as they grow into mature adulthood. God has promised the power to change their orientation, but he hasn't promised to but he hasn't promised to. And that has not been my experience. And Sam Sam Albury's testimony is the same as Vaughan's. I don't think that should really surprise us. Should it? Romans 8, 23, Paul says that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. God has begun his work in us, but he hasn't completed it yet. Christians shouldn't be surprised to find that they're still at war, even more at war after conversion. And nevertheless, even now, Jesus promises real growth and real change. And then seventh, Jesus says to us, following me will require sacrifice and endurance. And see, maybe at this point you're thinking, well, this sounds like a rough deal. Really? You're telling me that when I come to Jesus, my same-sex attraction might not go away? And that I might have to live with that my whole life? And I may not be able to fulfill all my sexual desires? Yes, I am saying that. But isn't that all that Jesus offers to any of us? Matthew 16, verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Sam Albury is right when he says the gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily, without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. Same-sex attracted people are not the only ones who Jesus asks to make sacrifices in the area of sexuality. There are heterosexual people here today who desperately desire marriage and sexual intimacy and God may say, well, that's not my will. My strength is sufficient for you. There are heterosexual people who are married but for various reasons cannot experience sexual intimacy. 
Jesus says, following me will require sacrifice and endurance. We struggle with that. Endurance, perseverance in our fast-paced, have-it-now world. But God said, this too is part of my good plan. Listen to how Vaughan Roberts speaks about this. I think he's spot on. I have found that those I've learnt most from have invariably been believers who have grown in Christian maturity by persevering through significant difficulties. The experience of blindness, depression, alcoholism, a difficult marriage, or whatever the struggle may have been, is certainly not good in and of itself, and yet God has worked through it, both in the gold He has refined in their lives and the blessings He has ministered through them. I have seen the same dynamic at work in some godly believers who have experienced a seemingly intractable attraction to the same sex. By learning, no doubt, through many difficult times to look to Christ for the ultimate fulfillment of their relational longings, they have grown into a deep and joyful relationship with Him. Their own experience of suffering has also made them sensitive and equipped to help others who struggle in various ways. What would Jesus say to someone who's same-sex attracted? I love you. You need to repent. I will wash you and cleanse you. I'll give you a new identity and a new community, and I'll start to change you. Following me will require significant sacrifice and endurance. Lastly, number eight, one day soon, I will make you completely new. This is the great hope of the Christian faith. Suffering followed by glory, pain followed by paradise. Jesus will make all things new, including our bodies. And we will never struggle with a single unwanted desire or difficult temptation ever again. The deepest longings of our souls will be satisfied in Him. Unconditional love, true intimacy, a deep and eternal sense of belonging. Is same-sex attraction a sin? That's what we're asking this morning. It's certainly a result of humanity's fall into sin. But I don't believe it's a sin in and of itself. And if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, I'm so glad you've joined us today, here this morning or online. The most important thing that I want you to hear is your struggles do not disqualify you from being a Christian. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus came for people just like you and me, people who are broken and sinful, people who need help. And we want Riverbank to be a loving family where no one needs to feel ashamed or alone. And I also want you to know that Riverbank really needs you. We need you. We need more Rosaria Butterfields and Jackie Hill Perrys and Vaughan Roberts and Sam Albrees. I've been so blessed by them this week as I've read their books. We need your testimony. We need your God-given gifts. We need your example of what it really looks like to follow Jesus and be satisfied in nothing but Him. Society will tell you there are only two options. Affirm and act out your gay identity or suppress it and be miserable. But Jesus comes to you. He comes to all of us 
with a third option, a better way. He says, leave your sin behind. Come to me. I will love you. I will wash you and I will make you who you were meant to be. It will be the hardest thing you will ever do. And it will be the best thing as well. Because I will give you an identity and a love that satisfies far more than anything this world could ever offer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to us in your word. Thank you that you give us maps and signs and GPSs that we need in a world where our desires lead us in all sorts of different directions and truth can be very hard to work out and sometimes what feels right doesn't end up right and we don't know why. We thank you for the hard but helpful truths in the Bible about the fall and about sin and about the brokenness that every one of us have to live with. And we especially thank you for Jesus, the friend of sinners, the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Lord, may we be a church, may we be a hospital, where people like that, people like me, can come and find rest and healing and family and love and vulnerability and openness, a listening ear, a wise word, a shoulder to cry on, a traveler to walk with for the rest of this life until you take us through death into heaven, into paradise, into all things made new, all desires that are sinful gone, all temptations falling away as we experience your love forever. Lord, please make and shape us into a community that lives and loves these truths. And please, may we be a place where anyone, anyone who has been in the world and realized that those promises are empty can come to you and find the living water that they've been thirsting for. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.